Hello and welcome to the Sprint Podcast. The Sprint Podcast is a meeting place for all things agile and product related. In each episode, we'll talk to some of the most knowledgeable people from the space and pick their brains on what is happening out there in the world of product and agile. I'll introduce you with Sam Peacock, who is the product lead at Findex. Um, I first met, it is Findex, isn't it? Not Findex. Correct. Findex, Good. yeah. That would be embarrassing. Um, I first met you at the Scrum Australia event in Sydney, where you give a, a sort of talk, um, an open floor discussion, really, um, about less. And I was I was really interested. I came up to you essentially straight away to tap you up to see if I could get you on this podcast. And now a few months later, here we are. So I'm very happy um, that you're here. Um, do you want to maybe give us a little bit of an introduction? Tell us your story, where you've come from and, and what you do now. Of course, yeah. Well, awesome. th- firstly, thanks for having me, Chris. And uh, yeah, of course, yeah, thank you all the team for the podcast. Um, I've been listening to the episodes, and yeah, I think it's just really good for the community. And uh, I'm excited to be here, and I hope that yeah, the listeners get something out of it. Definitely, man. It's it's interesting. It's one of those things. When I was first kind of chatting with people, even you, really, the the podcast was really in its infancy, and I don't think we had even actually released any episodes, and now. That we've got a little bit of traction i do feel as though it is doing what we set out to do which as you say was kind of giving something back to the community and sharing insights so um fingers crossed that continues yeah and i'm no. sure it will today <laughs> let's hope so um so yeah my name is sam as you said i'm uh yeah i'm i'm calling i'm ca- calling in from a pretty cold melbourne right now um currently raining outside so as you said chris i'm the product lead at findex digital so a little bit about Findex. So Findex is one of Australasia's leading providers of integrated financial advisory and accounting services. Uh, we build a lot of our tech in-house and uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome place to work. I've been here for, for some time now, so I call myself a, a pretty old piece of furniture uh, at Findex Digital. Um, how far would you like me to go back, all the way back to the study days? Or... Well, you know, I was, I was looking at your profile and no one, no one's got a, a typical kind of career trajectory when it comes to agile. In my experience, there's lots of different people coming from lots of different areas, but you seem to have organically grown into that the role within Findex from what I can see. So maybe talk about that a little bit and, and how that went for you. Of course, yeah. So I guess at university, so I, I studied uh, business and arts. So I always really enjoyed the creative side of arts and I kind of needed that to balance out uh, the commerce side, which can be quite quite boring at times uh, I found and yeah my first job out of university was in digital marketing uh, so I was doing lots of website and kind of CMS work which was really fun it was really good first gig out of uni and then from there I went into pretty traditional project management so like your Gantt charts and project charters status meetings reporting those kind of things right mm-hmm. so uh, lots of different projects and and yeah spent that time for a good couple of years and um, in one of those projects, I got pretty deep into a popular CRM uh, software, uh, which made me, yeah, I ended up transitioning into the product owner role uh, as part of that part of that project. And that was really my first exposure to Scrum. Uh, and that was, yeah, it was a really small, cohesive, uh, pretty well-driven team. So I, I really enjoyed, yeah, working in that space. And then... I guess for a number of years, I continued down that that delivery path in product management. So I was playing the product owner role uh, in multiple different Scrum teams, and I've got some pretty 
yeah, some pretty fond memories of that time where we were just grabbing a small number of people and forming really cohesive teams, um, but building really valuable stuff really quickly and getting lots of great feedback. So, uh, yeah, I always really enjoyed playing that product owner role. And then I guess a couple of years ago, it, it shifted a little bit for me. Um, I became really interested in ways of working and team dynamics and, and an opportunity came up for me to fill a scrum master role. And as part of that, I became really interested in the fundamentals of scrum and, and the nitty gritty of the scrum guide. Uh, I still to this day have the scrum guide next to my desk and I look at it so many times throughout the day. Um, and it, it sounds so obvious, but I found I found one reason or another that lots of teams and organizations' ways of working was was away from uh, what's the three, five, three, five elements of Scrum. So you got the three accountabilities being the roles, uh, the five events, the three artifacts, and the and the five values of Scrum. So I was finding that there were so many you know additional roles and processes and meetings and all this stuff outside of um, what was in the scrum guide. Um, and then around that time, so our, our head of engineering and enterprise architecture at Findex Digital, uh, he introduced a lot of us, uh, to large scale scrum, um, to less. And, and I guess a bit of an elevator pitch on less that less is a, yep. it's a scaled up version of one team scrum. Um, and it maintains many of the practices and ideas of one team scrum. And it adds a few additional events in there. But I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit more detail yep. uh, pretty soon. Um, so yeah, since, since learning about that a couple of years ago, we've been working really hard on our way of working at Findex Digital. And uh, yeah, it's in a really good good place. And and I guess more, more recently, uh, as you said, I was a guest speaker at Scrum Australia, which was, which was an awesome experience. Uh, I've done a few talks around a number of meetup groups across both Australia and New Zealand. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, just enjoying my time working with teams and working with people at the moment. When you were at university, you were studying something that was very kind of academic and then you had the creative side as well. And I wonder if the product and the scrum plays to that creative aspect of the way that you think and the, the things that you enjoyed and gives you the opportunity to flex that muscle a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed, you know, the, the customer interaction that came with the product owner role. I think that with, with a project management role, you're reporting a lot um, and you're providing status updates and, right. and the like. And I think that, you know, getting the opportunity to sit down with customers and problem solve and then work with the team to build those solutions, that's that's a pretty awesome experience. Mm. Uh, and that's a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. So I think for me personally, and it's, I mean, it's not for, not for everyone, um, but for me personally, I certainly enjoyed the product management side of things more than I... Uh, than I did the project management side of things. Maybe it's maybe it's the people focus then. Maybe that's what you gravitate towards. Yeah, potentially, potentially, yeah. Um, and then you 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 mentioned like you've got the Scrum Guide on your desk, and you like to kind of stick to the book. And I think you guys have pretty well stuck to the um the guide and the rules. I don't meet many people who do that. There's a small actually. I tell a lie. There's a there's a call of people in the Agile community here are really vocal, really interesting, who are very much kind of by the book. And there's an, a, a, what I would say, a, probably a larger section of the community who is, who is less so and takes a, what they would say maybe is a more pragmatic approach to whatever the, the kind of Agile implementation or transformation might be. Really keen to understand why you were keen to go kind of by the book, what interested you in that, 
and what was your thought process? I think the important thing with that is that uh, it is very much what works for the organization. Mm. So I guess large-scale Scrum is a framework and the Scrum guide is a guide. It might not be right for the particular organization or the problem trying to solve. It's not, it's not a silver bullet. And I think in my experience, I've been quite lucky that uh, following the guide and following the framework for the most part has been successful. And I guess that I've got trust in that. You can read on uh, how many amazing resources there are that are backed by years of research and experiments yeah. that you can, you know, you can put your trust in these things to give them a go. Um, but if it, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Try something else. Um, it just might mean that's not right for you. So I guess that in my experience, take the approach of look at the guide and look at the framework and, and the rules and the principles and all that and, and have a crack. Um, yeah. but if it doesn't work, that's okay. Um, experiment with something else, try something else. Cause something else might be right for, for the business. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. Um, so do you think then you got lucky in that the way that you were able to do it just kind of was by the book? Oh, lucky. And that's not to downplay how successful you've been in doing that either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about, I, I'm not sure about luck. Yeah, I think that it's it's just, it's backing it's backing it in almost. Yes. And I think that, as I alluded to before, when I got really deep into Scrum and ways of working, team dynamics, I was finding that, you know, organizations and teams were introducing like additional roles and processes and et cetera. Mm other meetings that can sometimes be an easy option in my opinion that you know there's a problem let's let's throw someone else at it or let's put a meeting or all these kind of stuff so in my experience there's definitely a trust element of putting a lot more responsibility in those roles of the scrum team so staying true to those three roles of scrum being your product owner your, your scrum master and then and then your team and and for those roles in the scrum team to be responsible um, and try not to go, yeah, try not to add anything else to that um, yeah. where possible. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and can you speak to, I suppose you, I sort of got a bit of insight from you around the work that you've done at Findex and I'm, I'm keen to make sure that we don't spill any kind of specific details as such, but can you speak to um, your experience of, of implementing less in the business and maybe what some of the challenges were and, and how you overcame them? Yeah, so so maybe I can give a high level of uh, just a little bit about large scale Scrum. So that'd be awesome. When people ask me about this, I always go back to this excerpt that's in the 2020 Scrum Guide, and it says under the Scrum Team header something along the lines of: If Scrum teams become too large, they should consider reorganising into multiple cohesive Scrum teams, and each of those Scrum teams being focused on the same product. Uh, sharing the same product goal, the same product backlog and and product owner as well. So I guess to to synthesize it to synthesize that a little bit. So less is scrum. Um, it's not a new and improved scrum. Uh, it just is scrum that's applied to many teams that are ultimately working together on on the one product. So it really is that scaled up version of one team scrum that tries mm-hmm. to figure out, how to apply those same principles, uh, purposes, elements, et cetera, of Scrum in a large scale context um, as simply as possible. So 
I guess the details behind that is, as I've alluded to, it, it puts more responsibilities on the team. So there's not, you know, there's fewer roles, meetings, and et cetera, like, like some other scaling frameworks that you might come across. Uh, and there's probably more of a focus on uh, customer and collaboration. So, you know, that one product backlog um, for many teams to work from means that ideally you're working on the highest customer value item at any given time rather than if each team was focusing on their own product backlog um and then as well there's with with large-scale scrum uh large-scale scrum recognizes product backlog refinement as a formal event of the framework whereas scrum doesn't uh mm -hmm. and there's a lot of good material on the on the less uh it's it's less dot work so the less works website uh, there's lots of great material on uh, for product backlog refinement, getting uh, teams and then the uh, stakeholders, customers, users in the room together and doing that right, doing that refinement together, um, rather than you know that being done by a separate product owner group or business analysts or or whatever it might be. You're doing a really good job of articulating this, by the way, because I'm following and I can visualise what it is that you're saying. So you're doing well. Thank you. I hope I'm not throwing too much jargon. No, you're not at all. And yeah. you know, it's interesting. I, I've worked in this space. I've been recruiting specifically within the Agile space for about six years now. Unless it's something that I don't come across all too often. Lots of organizations, or, you know, they want people with safe experience or whatever it may be. Um, so I actually sit down and have a, a meaningful conversation with you about this is really interesting. And I actually suspect there'll be a lot of people out there who wouldn't have worked in a less environment as well. It's certainly more prevalent overseas, areas like Europe. There's um, right. there's less conferences over there. But yeah, it is it is pretty few and far between in Australia and New Zealand. Um, for those interested on the Less Works website, there is some really great case studies um, which uh, come from all parts of the world. There is a few on there uh, for companies in Australia that... Uh, that have been successful with large-scale scrums, that's, yeah, definitely a good one to look into as well. Yeah, brilliant. What do you think, then, is the next kind of evolution or iteration of less, or, or is it just scale, and it can continue to scale under that same framework? Yeah, I guess with less, so there is, uh, there is two frameworks with less. So there is uh, less, which is recommended for two to eight teams, uh, and then there is less huge, which has another... Uh, another set of yeah elements to it, which that's right. more for for eight teams and above. So that's like you know hundreds or thousands of of people. So I feel like uh, Craig and Craig and Bass, the guys who have started less, I feel like they've uh, they've got both bases covered at the moment with the next yeah, evolution. Good. So you've gone yeah, less and then and then less huge. But uh, from my experience, I haven't uh, experienced too much in the less huge space. It is, it is a really interesting read. So yeah, all, all that info yeah is available on the website, or um, or there's yeah lots of books about it as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I may I may need to get some reading done. Obviously, you're really like you understand less really well, and you can articulate it, and you can talk about it really confidently, which is awesome. Have you been exposed to other frameworks, and and have you got any thoughts on how they compare? And yeah, it's indeed. It's an interesting de debate, I would say. Um, yeah. My exposure has been limited. Um, it is self-educating, I would say, um, rather than being directly in 
those environments. But I do see a lot of debates in the community about less versus safe versus uh, the so-called Spotify model versus Scrum at scale. And I guess to share my views on it, I think it's what works for the for the business. Um, it, it's what what works for you because, I mean, less might work for one organisation, safe might work for another, um, and that's okay. I guess yeah. that my my experience with less is, and I always go back to that that part of the Scrum Guide which uh, suggests, and it is a guide, but it does suggest how to scale with Scrum. Which uh, which less as a scaling framework seems to be uh, the most aligned to, uh, from my understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. It is funny. I, I do see, I'd say not arguments, but certainly heated debates on LinkedIn. Um, you know, people want certain co- cohort of people batting for one team. Let's say it's less, and you know, for you know Spotify, whatever it is. Um, the other thing I would I would maybe comment is that I feel like, and again, this could just be because you're really the only person that I've spoken to you've got any sort of significant experience with less the, the kind of spotify model and safe and other things it seems to be that the people that i speak to who've worked in those environments and with those frameworks that it's really fluid and that perhaps people just kind of cherry pick parts of that that they like and and use that as opposed to necessarily really fully immersing themselves and and going harm on a particular framework mm. i wonder if that's due to the way that they work versus the way that less works that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Because I, I believe in experimenting, trying new things, um, use the guides and the frameworks that are available and, and have them at your disposal, but try something else. And you, and you might find that you know, there's elements of other frameworks which might work really well for you and, and you're, able to, you're able to take that um, and apply that to your, to your organization. So mm. I don't think you should follow the book for the sake of following the book. Um, yes, I think look at the book, understand the book, um, give it a go. But as I said earlier, if something's not working or you want to try something else, uh, do that. And that might be you learn something from another framework or from someone else or another organization. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you find it difficult or have you found it difficult to go out into the market and hire people who can bring experience of working with less into the business? Yes, it is. Uh, it is challenging. Uh, I think the less ex- the direct less experience is, as we were kind of talking to earlier, it's pretty few and far between yeah. in Australia. But I also think it's a mindset thing that, that I always go back to. Again, I'll keep talking about that one sentence in the Scrum Guide. Uh, <laughs> I always I always go back to that. And uh, if, if people believe in that, you know, the idea to scale teams with the one, buy the one backlog, one goal, one product owner, and believe that's possible and 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 think that's achievable as a way of scaling Scrum. Um, that's very much a mindset, a mindset yes. thing. Um, where some other people, they might have more experiences, you know, in other frameworks, which introduce a lot of additional roles and processes and meetings and the like, and that just might be their experience. So um, I guess there's also an element of flexibility in mindset. So how open-minded are you to, to trying something else mm. um, if it's not what you're used to? And I suppose that's what you, you can almost look for when you go up to the market. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I would imagine actually that a fair few people are probably quite interested in getting that experience. You know, it's almost like a, a kind of point of difference for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was it was really fascinating, Chris. I don't know your experience at the Scrum Australia conference, but I, I spent a lot of time with other people who described a lot of challenges in their organization's way of working. Um mm-hmm. 
which, you know, was following um, certain scaling frameworks or had been a certain way for, for a long time and never never really changed. So um, when you meet those people, you hear their pain. Um, and yeah, I think that getting exposure to just different frameworks, different ways of working, how other people do it, um, you know, that, that's good for everyone. And that's why... So why things like this podcast, things like the, those conferences, things like the meetup groups, they're, they're so valuable to just just hear other people's experiences. Definitely, yeah. I love that event, man. I was, I was blown away. It's the first time I'd been to Scrum Australia, and I know it was a while ago, but for me, it, it sort of signified like the first real step in us getting back together and everybody getting back into the same room post-COVID. Um, and it was amazing. There were so many people that I've known for years I've never seen in the flesh that I was able to like spend time with there. Um, but touching back on your point, there was, I was involved in lots of workshops and conversations where people were troubleshooting the environment that they're in and trying to, you know, understand how they can overcome challenges and just being able to have that conversation with the professionals who are bringing a different perspective. So valuable. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, it's been a funny couple of years, hasn't it? Um, I was similar coming to the conference to a lot of people. I'd only met virtually and then being them face to face for the first time was <laughs> yeah, so awesome. So it's going that kind of stuff was back, isn't it? It's so good, yeah. Are you um are you gonna be speaking anywhere else in the in the future? Have you got any gigs? I don't know if you call them gigs. I don't actually. Um, I'm sure the offers will come flooding in after the podcast, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, slide into my <laughs> slide into my DMs if you if you want. <laughs> but no, nothing coming up. Um I would like to have a case study published on the less website um nice that is something that i might be trying to do in my in my spare time i've heard it's quite challenging quite a hard thing to do so craig and and bass the creators of uh less i hear it's uh yeah not an easy task to do that so uh that's just a little side project that i would personally like to do on the side um that'd be awesome but yeah, out, outside of that, yeah, I'm just focusing on um, focusing on Findex Digital at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so what does a sprint look like in large scale Scrum? If you think about with large scale Scrum, so what we're going for here is, as I said, multiple teams with the one product backlog, the one product goal, one product owner, uh, and that means one sprint across the teams, and it also means one potentially shippable product increment at the end of that sprint. Um, so the way that a sprint would start off in large-scale Scrum is it's, it's very similar to, to Scrum. There's only a few additional uh, events and a few slight changes. So we'll start the sprint with sprint planning, like normal, um, like normal Scrum. Um, sprint planning is broken up into what Les calls sprint planning one and sprint planning two. So sprint planning two, if you're familiar with the Scrum guide, sprint planning one is all about uh, the why and the what. So the why being the product goal and the what are we going to select uh, for the next sprint. And then sprint planning two is all about the how. So teams, uh, how they're going to deliver those product backlog items, um, decomposing them into smaller uh, items of work. And then throughout the sprint, so as I mentioned earlier, there's product backlog refinement, which in large-scale Scrum is recognized as an event, um, whereas it's only mentioned a few times in the Scrum guide. So uh Product backlog refinement will also happen within the sprint. Uh, it's suggested no more than 10% of the sprint is spent on product backlog refinement. Uh, then as we get towards the tail end of the sprint, we've got one sprint review across the teams. 
and there's lots of good material on on the Les website about uh, trying a sprint review bazaar, which is almost like a science fair of if you can imagine multiple teams with lots of deliverables, uh, almost like a science fair where customers and stakeholders and users can come and pick their station they want to see. Move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, same as uh, same as your usual sprint in Scrum, that we'll finish the sprint with uh, a team retrospective. Um, so for each feature team, you'll have your team retrospectives. And then there's introduction of an event that's called an overall retrospective in large-scale Scrum. So if you've got multiple teams, uh, the overall retrospective is a time to come together with team retrospectives to talk about systemic themes that are above the level of a single team. So if you can imagine there's issues that are common across multiple teams or it's a you know it's an organization wide issue or system wide issue, the overall retrospective is a time where you get the right people in the room uh, to talk about that issue and see if we can find out what the root cause is uh, and if we can you know run any experiments to try and improve that. Well, yeah. Again, that makes sense. When you kind of map it out like that, it's easy to follow and I can see why that works. Awesome. Um, now, we've talked a lot about less and I guess how it's worked for you and the, the sort of benefits, but more broadly speaking, can you speak to the benefits and perhaps some of the drawbacks or the challenges of using less? Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess that the benefits what initially come to mind for me is that you're really maximizing the value that's being delivered to customers or end users um, through that one product backlog. So it means you've got the one list of priorities rather than you know, multiple product teams working on uh, different product backlogs with different product owners. So if you've got that one list of priorities for, for the teams to work off. Um, and that also means that you're really adaptive. It means that there's a really low cost to change if you need to. If priorities shift, it's just the one the one product backlog to to change. Yeah. Um, which is I, I think that's that's the best thing about it, to to be honest. Um the, the second thing that comes to mind is working directly with customers and users in product backlog refinement. So rather than clarification and refinement being done separately by the product owner or business analyst or or someone feeding that to the teams that we're getting the people who are building the product in the same room as the people who use the product or having the problem or want something new and you're doing that refinement together um and the few other things yeah we're talking about is you know it's, it's more responsibility on the team because we you know we don't have a lot of We'd have any additional roles or meetings or processes outside yes. of those those three Scrum roles, um, and I've really found that there's a lot of systems thinking um, in large scale Scrum. So you're always thinking about the whole system because there's you know many teams working on the same thing. Uh, it, it means you have to think like at a system level rather than just your team. So you have to be thinking yeah very big picture yes. rather than quite micro. Um, and the last thing that comes to mind, which is something I'm surprised you haven't mentioned yet, um, is we my experience with with teams and and less is uh, when we when we started less was we did a self designing team workshop, so the teams got in a room uh, together and formed into their own teams. Um, so there's a few different things 
yeah, a few different tactics you can use to to do that and guides and, and there's a lot of material out, out there on how to do that. Um, so we did that virtually. Um, so we have people all across, you know, Australia, New Zealand, getting a room and forming their own teams. And the idea for those teams to be long lived, um, it can be quite common in organizations that, you know, you end up in a team for a period and you're another team and you're yeah. another team and you're moving around. Uh, but those teams, the intent is that they're long, long lived and, you know, they're cross-functional, um, teams as well so how getting it right what how does, how, does that, how does that exercise actually work and how does that unfold yeah so we got in a room um and we put together a set of acceptance criteria so things like if you know we want x many people in a team ideally this many amount of teams that kind of thing um, you can also use things like before the meeting coming up with like a skills matrix or something like that. And you're looking to get that cross section of skills and experience in each team. Uh, and then it's just a matter of, you can do it in rounds. So almost, uh, almost have a crack at it first and then present back where you landed and then receive feedback and then try another iteration. Um, you know, form into another teams, present that back. And then if, if people might be happy, people might not, but might not be happy, uh, do another iteration. So yeah, we called them rounds of, uh, that's really of performing those and, and yeah, that's where we landed. That's awesome. Um, and so on the flip side of that, then can you, can you speak to perhaps some of the downsides, some of the challenges or drawbacks? I think a, a broad product definition is quite difficult. Um, like to be able to form that one product backlog with the one product goal is really hard to comprehend and, and get your, get your mind across. And, um, having that, that broad product definition is, is really challenging and it might not be applicable as well. So, um, I guess, yeah, maybe in this case, uh, from my experience at Findex Digital that we, we were quite lucky of the nature of the product and that might, it just might not work with the nature of um, what the, what some other teams and other organizations um, work on. There's a lot of upfront investment which also needs to go to learning. Uh, so if, if you're transitioning to one product backlog and you've come from a place where uh, teams have been focused on a specific product or component and then you know now they're working for, on a product backlog which has other product or components in it, uh, yeah, you have to consider that that will take some time to learn and upskill. And and the last point is probably that change can just be really hard. Um, change can be scary. Definitely. Um, any change management, um, you know, any any change to how things have been done uh, can, can just be challenging in many different ways. Um, and I think that's where, you know, having the right, group of people, the right buy-in, uh, all that good stuff is, is really important. So you're all kind of, you're all in together. And somebody who's really kind of passionate about what it is that's happening, right? You need somebody like you essentially kind of banging the drum. Yeah. You probably need a few more than, than just me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there is, you have to have, uh, you need to bring people along the journey. Of course. Um, so I think that's, I think that's really important. A lot of, if you are going to do any kind of change, um, 
any any framework, any change, I think that um, you know, bring people along in that journey, um, being upfront, giving people as much information as you possibly can as early as possible, giving people the right right training, support, whatever they might might need. Uh, and then, you know, the open-mindedness to accept that things might not be perfect, uh, but the open-mindedness to try something else and keep trying new things and keep working on it together and believing that, you know, we're going to get to that perfection vision that we want to get to. Yeah. Man, I'm all in now. I'm on the journey. I'm going to be challenging my clients if they come to me with requirements around space. I'll be like, listen, I need to tell you about less. Let me talk you through this. Let me point you in the direction of a podcast. Yeah, he's like a hidden fans number. <laughs> <laughs> You've spoken a lot about what you have done and I suppose why and you know the benefits and such. What do you see happening down the line? Where, what do you think is happening in the future of the agile space? This is such an interesting question, um, and I and I've heard I've I've heard responses from a few other guests you've had on the podcast, and I. I guess ultimately I don't know, <laughs> which is a really bad answer. <laughs> well, no, um, nobody but, bit the But I think it's interesting. It, it, yeah, maybe if you let me ramble for, for a few minutes. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, there's obviously been a large number number of downsizing in, in quite large tech organizations and, mm-hmm. and roles like agile coaches, scrum masters, middle management, um, those kind of things have, has caught a fair bit of that. Yeah. Um, I ultimately think that the scrum master role is still really misunderstood in many organizations. And I, I also think that the the market for scrum masters is pretty crowded as well. Um, it's, it's a relatively low cost to enter role. Um, and just on the, I guess, on the former of that point with the scrum master role being really misunderstood, if you look at uh, material like, uh, a gentleman named Michael James, uh, he has a Scrum Master checklist. Uh, and then as well on the Lessworks website, that when they talk about the Scrum Master role, it's very organizational. Um, it's it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the system. It's all about across teams. It's not about, um, I think in organizations, it's often misunderstood as like a full-time facilitator role or... Right. Um, definitely, you know, someone that needs to do all this reporting to upper management and alike. But if you look at, uh, if you look at the Michael James Scrum Master checklist, there is so much to do as a Scrum Master. So I think ultimately there's a, there's a really great opportunity for those in this space to try and educate organizations, people, um, about, yeah, what that role is. That's such a good point. Cause there is a massive misuse the term and the role in a lot of organizations. And I even wonder if then scrum masters need to be shouting louder for themselves and promoting themselves in a, a more positive way. Yeah. So, to help to educate the mark on, well, look, this is, these are all of the things that we do. We don't just do this one thing. That's right. We don't just, we don't just do stand-ups for 10 minutes in the morning. Then they go home. Bang on. Absolutely. And uh, I, I also thought about, this is a left field one. I, I watched this super interesting video the other week. It was... Uh, there's a newsletter by, by a gentleman, his name's Stefan, uh, Wolpers, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, yeah. it's mostly a product management, um, newsletter with elements of scrum in it as well. There was a video in there, which was called, uh, how Elon Musk would run your company. And it goes for about an hour and a half. It's and a great headline for a video that. 
Yeah, so I clicked it straight away yeah. and, uh, and and spent a late night watching it. And uh, in that video, there's no agile, there's no scrum, and he and this this gentleman that that runs the webinar talks about. Um, a lot of common themes across companies run by Elon Musk, which he's had ex um, experience in. And I just found it fascinating. And, and it made me kind of think that, you know, if we as agile coaches and we as scrum masters, if we're in the, in, you know, the, um, if we're in the space of ways of working, then there's great opportunity to broaden our understanding of ways of working. It doesn't just have to be scrum. It doesn't just have to be less. It doesn't just have to be um, safe that, you know, there's so many things you can learn from other frameworks or how other people do it, that, you know, there's great opportunity, um, for us to help organizations with that. And we don't need to be wedded to the one particular framework. I think that's that right now. I also believe agile ways of working aren't necessarily new anymore. Um, but there will be something else. There will be something that will come around. There might be a little while. It might be, you know, who knows? But presumably the people who are working in that space now as coaches and scrum masters have got that opportunity to evolve with the space. Like you said, it's it's implementing different ways of working and, it, and they could be a totally different design, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. So yeah, I think there's plenty, I guess to answer the original question, I think there's plenty for us to do. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of things we can do to educate ourselves, um, but then there's a lot of things we can do to, uh, to educate, educate organizations other people about um you know all the things that that a, a scrum master agile coach uh could be doing to help that's such a good point it really is so we're not going it's not going away then i don't think so i don't know either i think it'll change Maybe it we should do a like a 10-year anniversary <laughs> podcast episode and have this exact <laughs> conversation and see right. like, like I'll, try, I'll try and do it as a panel i get a few people from the series on then we'll do it yeah sam was wrong you were wrong. <laughs> Everyone was wrong. Hopefully, I'll be dialing in from a bitch in the butt somewhere. <laughs> What's that here in Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much, man. That was awesome. No problem. Chris, no problem. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And um, thanks for the podcast. Um, yeah, man. And thanks for anyone that, yeah, is has listened today. Um, if, if you did want to learn more or, you know, I'm always open to just chatting to, to anyone that's interested um feel free to reach out on linkedin um there's lots of really awesome material about what we've spoken about today so maybe just to rattle off a few things that might be helpful yes, for, for anyone listening um michael michael james uh his scrum training series as well as the scrum master checklist is pretty awesome uh a gentleman named mike cohen has a really good newsletter who I think a lot of his material is, uh, yeah, really impressive. And yeah, so those meetups I've mentioned are, are really great. So there's a few scrum user groups, uh, across both Sydney and Brisbane. There's also a less meetup group, uh, in New Zealand and there's lots of great stuff happening in Europe, as I said, but yeah, time zones can be, can be a bit hard for those. Yeah. Are most of those things online? Is it something that people can dial into if it's in other countries? Of course, yeah, of course, uh, free registers, um, free event. Um, and of course, the last thing that I have mentioned throughout today, but forgot to mention then is the, uh, the less works website. So less stop works, uh, definitely check that out and, and any less related events usually go on onto that, uh, website as well. But if, if, yeah, if, if today hasn't explained, 
uh, the framework well enough. Uh, it's it's all on the website and it's really in-depth. The guys have done a, a pretty awesome job with it. Now, you've done a great job of explaining it. I will jump on that website, though, because I'm I'm curious to learn more. And, yeah. and I imagine that you're probably going to get dinged a few messages on LinkedIn of other people who are curious to chat more with you as well. I hope so. Yeah, please do. All right, mate. Thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. It's been awesome chatting to you again. Um, and I'll um, I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Thanks again, mate.